Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us online. If you would like to connect with us, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, which is heightschurch.org connect. Thank you so much for joining us today. In our house, uh, we have a practice of something that we do regularly, and it's called remembering and telling. Uh, remember what God has done so that you can tell others uh, what he's done. Now, that practice that we do in our house of remembering and telling is not anything we created, uh, but you see it all throughout the Old Testament. A lot of times in the Old Testament, God tells the people of Israel, remember what I have done. Remember how I have brought you out of this. Remember how I've provided for you. And I'm going to ask you to remember that so now you can tell others what I've done. And as we start out today's message, I just want to kind of put that into practice for us for a moment to remember where God has taken us over the last six years so that we can tell others. You know, in the last six years, God has done a great work in our church, but he has done it through some hard times. Uh, August 13, 2017, you are gracious enough to extend an invitation for me to become one of your pastors. That was August 13th. August 17th, 2017, a rainstorm blew through our area. Many of you know that as Hurricane Harvey, and you are affected for some of you very, very deeply, and that was life-altering in a lot of ways. 2018, we had the Santa Fe school shooting. 2019, I think, was kind of a normal year. Couldn't identify something really hard. 2020 through 2021, we went through that thing called COVID together. 2021, at the end of 2021, in about uh, the period of September and October, uh, we had 12 funerals in 16 days that we said goodbye to 12 sweet church members. 2022 through 2023, have been marked by some very hard medical cases for many adults and children within our church. If you look at the last six years, I think you could rightly use the terms challenging, difficult, and hard. As I've talked to some of you over the years about those things, uh, a couple of you have said, it just seems like it's been one thing after another since you have been here. Sorry, I, I don't, my bad, I feel that too. <laughs> But one thing I can say with full sure confidence is even though it's been difficult and challenging and hard at times, you have not allowed that stopping the gospel from going forward. Because in the last six years, our average worship attendance has grown by more than 100 people. In the last six years, we've baptized 102 people. In the last six years, we've helped plant three new churches. In the last six years, you have given a little over $1.1 million to mission giving through the cooperative program Annie Armstrong and the Lottie Moon uh, offering. In the last six years, you have donated in fundraisers over $75,000 to families who are adopting and those who have major medical expenses. In the last six years, you have invested over $600,000 in renovations and repairs and upgrades to this campus. I don't know about you, but to me, those are God-sized numbers of what he's done through you in the last six years. See, individually, we can do very little. 
together, we can do so much more. If you have your Bible, let's stand together as we read the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 7. It's Paul writing this letter to Christians that are scattered all throughout Ephesus. He says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he may fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all obtain unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now look in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in any, every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word that he has written specifically to you. I pray that you learn it, you love it, you live it. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege it is to come and to remember what you have done in order to tell others. What an honor it is as we have read over the last several weeks in Ephesians 1.13 that we once were far off but now we have been brought near to you by the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us never to forget that simple message. We once were lost, but now we're found. And Father, I pray this morning that we remember that individually we can do very little. Together we can do so much more. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know, Paul in this section of the letter is talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, throughout the letter, the way it is structured in the first three chapters really digs into your identity of who you are in Christ. And then chapters four, five, and six, now we're living out that identity. And he's showing you how, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're to operate, serve each other, love each other in order to build one another up in the faith. And I want you to notice first that Paul shows us that we have very diverse gifts among us. So when it comes to the topic of spiritual gifts, we all have diverse gifts. We're all not gifted in the same spiritual gifts, that God uh, gives us different gifts in order to be used. You notice in verse 7 that Paul says that Christ has given us these gifts by his grace. Now, when he speaks of his grace in verse 7 in these gifts, it's not speaking of salvation, uh, but he's speaking of spiritual gifts. And so this Jesus who you are created in, so Ephesians 2.10, when you come to belief in Christ, faith in Christ, you are created in Christ Jesus. You are his workmanship. You're his masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10 says. You're created in Christ for every good work. 
that God has laid before you that you should walk in them. And so now that Christ has given you spiritual gifts to be used to live out. Now, the thing about spiritual gifts is this. We don't get to pick the spiritual gifts that we have. When you become a Christian, you can take like a spiritual gift inventory to help you discover what those gifts are. I encourage you to read the Bible as well in that. But you don't get to sit down with God and go, Lord, I would like to be gifted with the gift of hospitality. Lord, I would like the gift of giving. Or Lord, I'd like the gift of mercy. Certainly, I did not pick the gift of teaching. When I was growing up, I was shy. I did not like people. I didn't like being in front of people. I didn't like people, okay? That is a bad qualification for a pastor. You kind of have to like people to do what I do. And I didn't like people. I didn't like to be in front of people. And so when God called me into ministry, and it was about the age 23, 24, I went to others and I said, I feel like God's calling me to be a pastor. And every pastor told me this that I talked to. I talked about five of them that I trusted. Farther down the road than I was. Said, if you love to do anything else in your life, go do that and don't do ministry. That's what they told me. And so I'm in seminary class in systematic theology my first semester. And I grew up in the church, but I grew up in a church that honestly, I don't ever remember them talking about spiritual gifts. And I'm sitting in systematic theology, and the professor's starting to lecture on spiritual gifts. And I lean over to a friend, and I go, wait a minute. We get gifts for being a Christian? Like, what are these gifts that we get? How much are they worth? Because Sandra and I are broke. Can I trade them in? Can I pawn them off? What are these gifts? Well, you could read Romans chapter 12, you could read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul's going to give you a list of spiritual gifts there. Notice what he does, though, in Ephesians 4. He tells us that we have diverse gifts that Christ, based on how he has made you, how he knows you, gives you gifts to fit you. All right, so some of my gifts are not your gifts, your gifts aren't mine. Are, are mine. They're, they're all different in that way. But I want you to notice what Paul does is he doesn't give us a list of all the gifts, but instead he is pointing us to the one who gives us the gifts. He's making sure Jesus is always the hero in our lives. So verses 9 through 10, he says that this Jesus has ascended, this one who has ascended to the lower parts of the earth. That's going to speak to the incarnation. That John 1:14 says, The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. That Christ Jesus, when he was here on the earth, was fully God and he was fully man. That means this, he did things only God could do. He raised the dead. He took one boy's lunch one day of two sardines and a couple of crackers and he multiplied it out to feed more than 5,000 people. He walked on water. He gave blind people their sight back. People who couldn't hear now could hear when Jesus healed them. He did only things that God could do. He also said only things that God could say. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Often when Jesus spoke and taught, it was the religious people who said, who is this one that speaks with such authority? We've never heard this before. So he descended. He incarnated himself. Now, as a man... He felt things like you and I feel. He was tired. 
He was hungry. He was hurt. He cried. If you have ever been betrayed by a friend, a loved one, well, you just get in line with Jesus. He knew what that was like. So then when he dies on a cross as a man for us, he dies on a cross as God for us, the sinless sacrifice in order to take our sin upon himself, to pay the penalty of our sin in order to give us new life. Now they put him in the ground. Three days later, Christ rises again. Forty days after that resurrection, Christ ascends to heaven. So this one that left heaven for us, who laid aside his glory, Philippians 2 says, came for you. Just stop and think about that for a moment. Christ left heaven for you. He came to this earth for you. This dirty, dusty, sinful world that we as believers are often like, Jesus, will you please come back because we're ready to get out of here? <laughs> he willingly came down for us. I love you, but ain't no way. I'm leaving heaven for you, not me. You're not going to leave heaven for me either, I guarantee you. If you sit there and look all spiritually at that comment, then no, no, check your heart, because you ain't doing it either. Once we go there, we don't want to leave there to come back to this. But Jesus says, man, I love you so much, I'm coming for you. This is who this one is. Pastor Matt pointed out earlier, look at verse 8. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It is Christ who through his death, burial, and resurrection has conquered sin, conquered death, conquered evil, conquered Satan for us. Paul is quoting Psalm 68, 18. Psalm 68 is a psalm about victory. It gives you a, a picture of a victory of a king that's parading through the area, celebrating his victory. And what they would often do historically is when a king defeated an enemy, he would come back with the spoils of war and he would give them out to his people. And this is the picture of Jesus that Paul is painting for us when it comes to spiritual gifts. That it is Christ, through his victory, through us who were once captives, now free from sin, and now lavishing upon us spiritual gifts. You know, when you stop and think about Jesus, there's a lot that separates Jesus from a lot of other false gods. See, any other god that man can create, there's something about those gods that men create that is far different than Jesus. See, any other false god will take from you. Any other false god demands from you. But what you see about the biblical Jesus is Jesus gives to us. Any other false god and false religion is constantly on the take, but it is Christianity rooted in Christ that's constantly giving. We have the Savior that's constantly giving to us in our lives. He's giving you his love. He's giving you his grace. He's giving you his mercy. He's giving you his forgiveness. He's giving you his life. He's giving you his presence. He's giving you spiritual gifts. He's constantly giving. So our identity as believers now is rooted in the Savior who is giving. Therefore, we are to be givers, right? That should mark us. We are givers. We should be giving of our time, our talents, our treasures constantly to build up the kingdom, to serve others. We have these different, diverse gifts. 
I want you to notice, secondly, what Paul shows us is we have different responsibilities. Not only are our, our gifts different and diverse amongst ourselves, but we have different responsibilities. Pick up in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of Christ. So that means this, within a local church, there are people who are gifted very, very differently that play different roles that have different responsibilities. Think of it this way. Our favorite Houstonian for the Astros is Jose Altuve. We like Jose Altuve at second base, hitting in the leadoff spot. We do not and would not want Jose Altuve pitching. If he took the mound, we're looking at ourselves and going, we're in trouble. Why? He's not a pitcher. He's a second baseman. That's his role. We like Fromber Valdez. He's a great pitcher. We don't want Fromber playing second base and now with a bat in his hand because he can't bat. He's a pitcher, not a hitter, right? Both Jose Altuve and Fromber Valdez are on the team. They're important members of the team, but they have different roles to play. They have different responsibilities. When it comes to God's kingdom, as believers in Jesus, and we sang about it earlier, we're sons and daughters. We're all of the same value in God's eyes, but we have different responsibilities. We have different roles now we live out within the church using our spiritual gifts to build up the body. So Paul there now centers you in on the role of a pastor. And he gives you, in verse 11, a couple of different offices. And I don't have time to break them all down, so let me just quickly do this in verse 11 for you. I don't believe for one second that the office of apostle and prophet still exists. I believe that was closed at the end of the New Testament. Now, I do believe that the office of evangelist still exists, that God wires and uniquely gifts some people to be evangelists. Now, be careful on this one, because this is where some of us make the mistake. You may say, well, I don't have the gift of an evangelist, so therefore I don't evangelize. No, 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 no. We're all called to share our faith, but for some of us, God wires us differently with the spiritual gift to be an evangelist. So, for instance, you're going to have your guys like Greg Laurie, Luis Palau, Billy Graham, just to kind of give you modern-day examples. These are guys who can get in a stadium full of people, basically stand up and go, repent, believe in Jesus. Whoosh! Like the whole stadium empties, right? That's a gift of an evangelist. I do not have the gift of an evangelist, but I am called as a Christian to evangelize. You are called to evangelize. My joke is I'm going to take a jackhammer into heaven because the people I usually meet and the people I usually have gospel conversations with are the people who know like nothing about scripture. And they're some of the hardest hearted people that I run into in evangelists. So my joke is always, I'm just there to break up the ground for somebody else to come behind me and to keep sharing the gospel and keep sharing the gospel till like the Billy Graham shows up, right? I'm the starting pitcher. There's going to be a middle reliever in a minute and there's going to be a closer to use a baseball illustration for those of you that know the pitching rotations, all right? That's the evangelist. Now, you also see pastor 
or shepherd, depending on your translation, and teacher. Those two functions and roles go together. So I want you to notice here the role of the pastor, teacher in Ephesians, what Paul calls us to do, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So if you expand that out and we go to Acts 6, just in our brains for a moment, in Acts 6, you see Peter saying that the role of the pastor is to pray, to preach, and Paul gives us a third role to equip for the work of the ministry, to equip the body to use those spiritual gifts for the work of the ministry. You know, at Heights, we have a vision plan over the next seven years. We're praying for God to do something in the life of our church in the next seven years, and and here's what it is. We want to equip you to reach your community with the good news of Jesus so that all people may have new life with Christ. That's our heartbeat we want to instill over the next seven years. We want to, you notice that word? Equip you to reach your community. So if you live in Santa Fe, you live in Dickinson, you live in Hitchcock, you live in Alvin, you live in Iowa Colony, you live in Manville, you live in Pearland, you live somewhere else I didn't name. We want to equip you to reach your community with the good news of Jesus so all people may have new life with Christ. Where do we see that language? It's right here in Ephesians 4, that our role is to equip you to use those spiritual gifts to build up the body. And I'm so excited about work that's already being done in that area in the life of our church. Last November, my wife Sandra met with about 14 uh, to 20 ladies for a weekend. And these were ladies within our church that teach in various roles and mentor uh, other ladies in various different levels. And for a weekend, they had an equipping time just to sit down and iron sharpens iron to figure out how to better mentor and teach as, as ladies in the life of our church. Over the last two years, one of our life groups, one of our adult life groups has already multiplied itself off two times. So from one life group in the last two years, we've been able to start two new adult life groups from this one because they have a heart of multiplication. Within those two new life groups, already in the last two years, there's new people teaching in those rotations. And over the last couple of months, some of those men taught their very first life group lesson. We're starting to see this heart of equipping all throughout our church and using those spiritual gifts. Recently, I sat down with with one of the ladies here in the church, and she was updating me on some areas of her ministry, and she was just pouring out story after story of how so many of you are taking meals to people who are sick how you're helping to go into people's homes and make some small repairs, how you're giving people rides, just doing all kinds of things for each other. And I stopped her and I looked at her and I said, do you realize this is Ephesians 4, the body of Christ being the body of Christ. And it's a beautiful picture. When we understand we have different gifts, diverse gifts, have different roles to play, different responsibilities. But I want you to notice third, we have a divine responsibility. So we have different roles, we have different gifts, but we have a divine responsibility to use these. Because see, uh, uh, alone, we can only do so much. Together, we can do so much more. And this really is going to come to the part of the message right here, over these next few verses that I'm going to go over, that you're going to have to really make a decision. See, at, at this point in the message, you might have gone, all right, well, that, that's kind of nice. Yeah, I maybe have some spiritual gifts, but uh, you don't know how busy I am. Right? You don't know how busy I am in life. I, I certainly can't commit to doing any service to any people right now. I'm so busy. 
So come find me when I'm not as busy. If you figure out how not to get busy, will you please tell us? I'd love to know that trick. We all would. If you figure out how to not be busy in life, we'll put you up here on a Sunday morning and let you give a testimony of that. And we'll all say, praise Jesus. We'll follow that plan. Some of you are going to say, well, I don't know about doing that. I'm too busy. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. Well, well, well here comes the thing. Because I'm going to call you into action in a minute. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to say, you know what? I am going to use my God-given spiritual gifts to encourage people to build up the body. Or I'm not. And if you say no, here's the warning. If you say no, you're not saying no to me. You're not saying no to me. You're saying no to Jesus. You're saying no to the one who created you in his image. You're saying no to the one that has given you those gifts. Because he gives us, as people, a divine responsibility to use the gifts he's entrusted us with. Now, why has he done that? I want you to notice in verse 12. Here's why we use the gifts. To build up the body of Christ. To build up the church. You know, numerical growth in a church is great. But you know what is way better than numbers? It's people maturing in their faith. Spiritual growth. I mean, I, I, yeah, I like numerical growth, but you know what I get really excited about? Spiritual growth. Seeing people helping people, seeing people use those spiritual gifts. Notice number two, verse 13. We are to use those spiritual gifts that, that Christ gives us in this divine responsibility because we are going to want to maintain the unity of faith, he says in verse 13, so that people will come mature in their personhood as believers in Jesus Christ. Notice verse 14. We want you to use those spiritual gifts, Jesus says, that people may know the truth. Look at it. It says, so that you may no longer be children to and fro by the waves, carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's why I use those spiritual gifts is help people mature in understanding their identity and their life in Jesus so they're not deceived by false teaching. There's so much false teaching out there right now. I mean, it's just running rampant and it's creeping in churches. And you and I got to say, no, 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 we've got to protect that. We've got to protect each other in unity. We've got to make sure we stay with the Scripture. And so here's why we do this. We do this upholding the truth, and we do it in love. Look in verse 15. Here's why we use those spiritual gifts. We want to speak truth in love. We want to grow up every person in every way into Christ so that the body, Paul says in verse 16, is working properly and it grows. That means this. At Heights Baptist Church, we need to hold up the Word of God without compromise, and we do that in love, and we love each other like family. That's what Paul's saying. We hold this Word up high, and we hold this Word as true, and we do it in love, but we love each other like family. So that means this. There's three ways that I pray every time before I come up to preach. Every time I come up to preach, there's, there's three little just ways I pray. First way I pray is this, Lord, will you help me this morning to preach with clarity? I need to put together some complete sentences, and for some days that's really hard for me, and I need, I need you to help me with that. 
I need clarity this morning, Lord, because I want to explain your word to where the eight-year-old understands it and the 80-year-old understands it and everybody comes home with something from your word. So, Lord, will you help me preach with clarity? Now, I also pray this. Lord, will you help me preach with compassion? These are your people. You love them. You care for them. Some of them are coming in hurting this morning, and I want to encourage them. Some of them, people are just ready to walk away, and I want to bring them back to you. Some of them just need convicting of, your sin, of their sin, and I'm going to leave that up to the Holy Spirit. But will you just help me preach with compassion? And then I finally pre- pray this. Lord, will you help me preach with conviction? And here's the way I pray that. If I'm the only one in this room this morning that believes this Bible, then God, will you help me to have the conviction to be the only one that believes this Bible? Because every time I preach, every time I hold this truth up in love, I'm reminded of this. One day when I die, I don't stand with you before Jesus. I stand alone. This isn't a group evaluation when we all get to heaven, right? So I'm not with you. You're not standing with me. I'm standing by myself before Christ. And he's going to look at me and say this, how'd you use those gifts that I gave you to use to build up my church? He's going to ask you the same thing. I'm not going to be standing there with you. Your life group leader ain't going to be standing there with you. It's just going to be you and Jesus in that personal evaluation. See, alone, individually, we can't do much. Together we can do so much more. I love what the book uh, Paul Tripp says in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. He says this, your life is so much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. Your life, some of you are like, can you just give me the one of those, right? And I'll think about the kids later. Your life, it's bigger than having beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you're a part of something immense as a Christian. Something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness, and he wants you to be a part of it. See, alone, we can do very little. Together, we can do so much more. So I'm going to call you this morning to be involved in the life of Heights Baptist Church. Not just to attend, we're glad that you're here. But to get in a life group to where you can build relationships with other people. And you might sit there and think, wait a minute, I don't need those people in that life group. Let me ask you this. Do they need you? So you might sit there and think, well, I don't need them. But maybe God's saying, no, 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 they need you. And that's why you need to get involved. To build relationships with them so you can help build up the faith in others. To use those spiritual gifts that God has given you to build up his church, to encourage others. Now you may say, well, wait a minute, I don't even know where to begin. Well, that's a great question to ask because I got an answer for you. There's this book right here. It's a green book. It's on the black tables before you leave this room. It's called A Serve Initiative. And in this book are all of our ministries that you can plug into in Heights Baptist. Every one of them, we've kind of listed out for you. And and we've got roles in there that you can play and and what that requires and, and all that. We wrote it down for you. And so today, if you say, you know what, I want to get involved, I don't even know where to start. On your way out the door, grab this. On your way out the door, grab this. Start reading through this. Pray through this. God may put something on your heart that's not in this book. Then come see me. Come talk to me. 
You may say, hey, Lee, I'm just like you. This is the first time I've ever heard about spiritual gifts, and I don't even know what's going on with that. Come talk to me about that. Talk to Pastor Matt, Pastor Jonathan. We'll sit down and help you discover out how God's gifted you. But I'm going to call you. Grab this book on your way out. If you're not serving anywhere in our church, then you need to enlist. You need to get on board. And I'm going to invite you also this morning to use those spiritual gifts just to build up the body. But, but let me ask you just one final question before we end today. If you died today, do you know if you'd be in heaven? And you know what? We've talked a lot about spiritual gifts this morning. That's important. But, but let me just get to the most important question. If you died right now and you stood before God, he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What's your answer going to be? For some of you, you're going to say, well, you know what? I, I place my faith and trust in Jesus, and Jesus is the only reason why I get to heaven. Well, that's a good answer. Some of you may say, well, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. I've been a good moral person. I should go to heaven with that. Let me just say this lovingly. That's the wrong answer. You know why? Because heaven is full of people who understood on this earth, we don't deserve to be there. Hell is full of people who on this earth thought they deserved to be in heaven. It's Jesus who says, I'll take you there. And so I'm going to invite you right now just to bow your head and, and close your eyes. We're going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to stand and sing a final song. And I'm going to invite you to come. And I'm going to invite you today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, maybe you're confused about that and or maybe you say, you know what, I, I know I'm ready to start a relationship with this Jesus. Man, he's given you so much more, but to be saved, you need to receive it. You come talk to me. There's going to be others down front as well that will pray for you. Maybe today, when we sing, you need to come and pray. It's praying for a friend. It's praying for a situation in your life. We're down front ready to serve with you and, and pray for you and help you. Father, I want to thank you that this church in the last six years, we can remember what we have done together so we can tell of how good you are. And Lord, it is amazing to me what has been done, and I can only dream of what you can do when 100% of everyone is using that spiritual gift. <laughs> what a day that would be. And so Lord, I pray this morning that as we've heard your word, received a call to action, that you'll help people find those ways to use those gifts that you've given them to help build up the faith of others, help build up your church. Thank you for the diverse gifts. Thank you for the divine responsibilities that we have and the different roles we get to play to make the body of Christ function. So Lord, I pray this morning for those in their homes, those in this place that don't know Christ, would you give them the courage today to say yes to Jesus, to have their eternities forever changed? We pray in Christ's name, amen.